0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading this evening is taken from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11, and can be found on page 1180 of the Church Bibles. page 1180 from the church bibles philippians 3 verse 1 further my brothers and sisters rejoice in the lord it is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again and it is a safeguard for you Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have a reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Ronan, and good evening. It's very good to have you um, with us here tonight. If you've just closed your Bibles, it's uh, page uh, 1180 in these church Bibles. And um, as we look at flipping three together, let me lead us in a prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these precious words, words that take us right to the hearts of what Christ has done for us. Father, please help us tonight by a deep work of your spirit that we might, with Paul, prize knowing Christ above all things. In his name we pray, amen. Over the last few years, I've reached the age where I start going back to check if the door is locked. Anybody else do this? Um, If you were to stand across the road and watch me leave the house, I would um, go out the front door. I'd walk around uh, 10 meters down the road. You'd see me stop, grimace, turn around, go back to the front door and and check to see if it's locked. Uh, Same with the car. The thing is, sometimes it is unlocked is even more worrying. Almost certainly I have all kinds of deep psychological issues. I guess in life, going back and checking the front door may be a sign of old age or memory loss, anxiety, all kinds of things like that. But when it comes to our Christian faith, we're going to see tonight that going back and checking is a sign of maturity, a sign of growth. Paul's letters to the Philippians, it's, it's full of, of warmth and joy. Uh, they have come to know Jesus. They are trusting in him. They are partners with Paul in the grace of God. He's thrilled about them, and he writes to help them to keep pressing on in the Christian life, to be fruitful Christians. We saw last week in chapter, um, chapter two that uh, one big danger for the Philippians was uh, self centeredness and pride. And Paul's gospel solution is to help them to keep looking to Jesus and to adopt his mindset that took him to the cross. Tonight we come to another danger that threatens the Philippians. Verse 1 begins Furthermore, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Paul has something else to say to them, and it's going to help them to rejoice in the Lord. But what is it? Verse 1 continues. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. What Paul is about to say to the Philippians is not new to them, and my guess is it is not new to most of us tonight, but Paul's unashamed about that because part of growing up as Christians is to go back to the things we've already heard about Jesus and to check if we are still believing in them to check the front door of our spiritual health to see if everything is okay. And the danger for the Philippians is that they might begin to think Jesus is not enough. That they need Jesus plus something else. For us here tonight, we stand 2,000 years after the Philippians. We live in a different time, different circumstances Some of the presenting issues will be different. But I think we'll see the same danger is there for each one of us as Christians tonight. And we need to keep going back and checking the front door of our spiritual hearts. Are we still safe in Christ? Two points for us tonight. The first, remember Christ alone brings true belonging. Let's pick it up in verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. I've got a dog. I like dogs. Um, I don't think Paul is being down on our furry friends, but he is speaking into a huge tension that existed back in his day, the tension between Jews and Gentiles. And that tension persisted even after they became Christians, even between Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles. We know from elsewhere in the Bible that um, some Jewish converts to Christ were going around after Paul telling Gentile Christians that if they really wanted to grow up and to really truly belong amongst the people of God, then they had to start behaving like Jews. They had to start following all the Old Testament Jewish laws. And it's very subtle because these Jews weren't denying Christ. They were just saying he's not enough. It's Christ plus. Here in Philippians 3, it's Christ plus circumcision. Circumcision. It's this circumcision group that Paul is warning them about here in verse 2. And he's worried. In verse 2, he literally says, Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evildoers. Watch out for the mutilators. Three times, watch out. Paul's like a a parent that sees one of their children running towards a busy road. and And the parent shouts out, Watch out! There's danger ahead of them. And just as an aside... There may be moments when, as Christians, after much care and consideration, we do have to say to other people who, who claim the name of Christ that actually what you are teaching is so dangerous that we need to say, watch out. Pull back, step away from that person or that group. That's what Paul is doing here. Why is he so upset by this Christ plus circumcision teaching? After all, God gave the sign of circumcision to his people back in the Old Testament. Well, look at verse 3. Paul says, For it is we who are the circumcision. Imagine it's 100 years ago, and a young boy um, has a dad, and his dad promises the young boy that when he turns 21, his dad will buy him a horse. A hundred years ago. So uh, the boy grows up year after year and he remembers that promise of his dad. And so when his 21st birthday comes around and the dad brings out his present, the boy's excited. But when he unwraps the present, what he finds in the box is not a a saddle and some stirrups and a halter, but he finds a set of keys. And he goes outside and there on 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 the driveway is not a horse, but a car. Has the, the dad lied to the boy? Well, no, because as the boy grew up over those 15 years or so, times changed. The age of the horse had gone and the age of the car had come. It's not a perfect illustration, but in the Old Testament, for that moment in history, circumcision was the sign that God gave to his people that they belonged it was a bit like if you go to a concert and you've shown your ticket and you're, you're let in. You might have your, your hand stamped to show that you've, you've paid, that you're allowed in. You can come and go, but you've got your stamp, you're, you're in. That's how circumcision worked for God's people back in the Old Testament. It was a physical sign that showed that people belonged. They were in amongst God's people. But it was just for a season. It was only a shadow, a foretaste of something better that was to come, not least because it was just a physical thing that could do nothing to change our human hearts, just an outward sign. And so when Paul says in verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision, he's saying to this Jewish group over here who are calling for physical circumcision, he's saying, you're not the real group anymore. You're behind the times. Things have changed. If you're like, you're trying to talk about horses when a a car has come along. Because look at how verse 3 continues. For it is we who serve God by his spirit. Now that Christ has come, God has poured out his spirit on all who believe in him. And God's spirit in our hearts can do a deep internal work in us that an outward sign could never do. No wonder then, as verse 3 continues, Paul boasts in Christ and puts no confidence in the flesh and things like circumcision done by human hands. As humans, we long to belong, don't we? From that very first day at school, to our first trial for the football team, amongst our friends, on our course, in the office, our families, to belong is a wonderful joy and to be excluded is agony. And because we long, we need to belong. That's why the Philippians are so vulnerable to this teaching from the circumcision group as they are told, you don't really belong until you start copying us doing these Old Testament Jewish things. And Paul's point is clear. Don't fall for it. Don't be confused. Christ alone brings true belonging. I mean, after all, Paul himself knows he's tried Other ways of belonging, so verse four. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul has the perfect background, verse five. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. You couldn't belong more than Paul belonged, using outward signs. He has the perfect behavior. Verse five continues, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul's not saying he was sinless, but he was saying that as the law was interpreted in his day, he could say with integrity he'd kept all the law. But now verse seven, but whatever it were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. None of these things that Paul could hold up actually brought him true belonging in the people of God. Just outward signs, outward activities, Christ alone brings true belonging. So what about us here tonight, 2,000 years later? My guess is most of us aren't gonna be tempted to rush out tonight after the meeting and go back to being Jews in behavior, certainly not with circumcision. But we can be in danger of thinking Christ is not enough, that it's Christ plus something else to really belong in the people of God. Perhaps we think that there are different levels of Christian membership a bit like a gym where you might have bronze, silver, gold membership levels. Um, perhaps the people here at the front who, who preach or, or lead or whatever it is, we've got the gold membership, and those who drag themselves to church and sit in the back row, maybe the bronze. I remember when I first arrived at university, I desperately wanted to fit in at church and at the Christian Union, but I quickly discovered. Uh, Growing up in Scotland, I had the wrong accent. Um, I hadn't been to the right church growing up. I then started hearing about these summer camps. And all the really keen Christians I was getting to know had gone to certain summer camps. And they hadn't gone to some other dodgy summer camps. I hadn't even heard of summer camps, let alone gone to the dodgy ones. And as they talked and compared notes, I just felt like I was a complete outsider. The wrong accent, the wrong church, the wrong background, the wrong camps. I wonder what it is for us. What makes us feel in or out of God's people. Maybe it is our church backgrounds. Maybe it's the fact that we've come to forward for 40 years. Maybe we've always been a church girl wherever we've lived. Maybe our dad was the church warden back in the day. Maybe we've been baptized. Maybe we know long Bible words like righteousness, more on that in just a moment, or we've read big Christian books. Maybe it's how we dress. Now, I have to say, I've, I've fallen for it. I, I've, I've fallen for the evangelical chinos, and actually so is Justin, which is great. Look, we're, t- we're together. I've worked out how to belong by wearing the right clothes, my shirt, my jumper, my chinos. I'm sorry, I have, I have fallen for it. But imagine next week I came back wearing ripped jeans and purple hair covered in piercings. How would you feel? I wonder if some of us would feel uncomfortable. I would, piercings are painful. (laughs) Philippians 3 is a sobering reminder that humans are so very good at forming tribes and cliques based around something other than Christ. And so I wonder, when is the last time you've gone back and checked the front door of your hearts? Friends, where is your confidence that you belong in the people of Christ? Christ alone brings true belonging, second Christ alone brings true righteousness. I'm going on holiday in a few weeks' time, and I'm going to attempt to cross a national border. Um, I expect that when I get there, I'm going to be confronted with some kind of border control person, and they're going to ask for evidence to show that I'm allowed to pass from one country into the other country. And it's kind of down to the border police to decide what evidence they need to be convinced that I'm allowed into the country. It's not down to me. I think they're going to ask for my passport. But imagine if, as we rolled up to the border, um, I didn't show them my passport. Instead, I showed them some car snacks I brought for the journey and said, look how good the car snacks are. Let me through. It's not going to work, is it? It's not down to me to decide. It's, It's their call. And when it comes to entry into God's people, God is the one who is allowed to decide who gets in and on what basis. It's not down to us. And the Bible is very clear that only a righteous person is allowed in to the people of God. That is, a person who has perfectly met God's holy standards And here in Philippians 3, Paul describes two mutually exclusive ways to be righteous. We've already seen the first, verse 6. Paul says of his old life, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. If ever a person could be righteous by keeping God's law, Paul was the man. But it didn't work. Verse 7 again, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And in case we've missed the point, Paul amps up the volume, verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. It's strong stuff. The word garbage could also mean dung. The problem is not with God's law. God's law is good and perfect. No, the problem is that Paul couldn't actually keep it. All his efforts to keep the law are the things that are done. I think of the rich ruler who meets Jesus in Mark 10. And he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus lists some of the Ten Commandments. And the man responds, all these I've kept. And he may well have done. And then Jesus says to him one thing more you must do go and sell everything and come follow me we know the story the man goes away sad because he's wealthy and in that moment he chooses his money over Jesus you see Jesus is the great interpreter of the old testament law And the Old Testament law was never just about external behavior and performance, although that's how many people viewed it in Paul's day. That's why Paul could say he was blameless when it comes to keeping the law. No, Jesus came along and showed everyone that the law was really deeper than that. It was about also love. Love for God. The greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And so... That's why this first route of being righteous, our own effort to keep the law, can never work. Because there'll be a moment when we all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and on that moment he will see not just the things that we allow other people to see about our lives, he won't just see the external things, the things that we've said and done, how we've lived, how we've acted. He will see our deepest heart's desires, our motives, our priorities. And on that basis, he will make a judgment. And that is why Paul considers his old life as dung. But there is a second way to be righteous. Verse nine. Not having a righteousness that of my own that comes from the law, But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This other kind of righteousness is not earned, it is given. Jesus was the one man who did live a perfectly obedient life, fully keeping the law, not just externally, but in his heart, with all the right motives and all the right desires. And so when Jesus, the one perfect man, died on the cross, he didn't take God's wrath for his sin, but for the sin of me and of you. And he died to swap places with us, to take our unrighteousness onto himself and to give us his perfect righteous life in exchange. And so when our moment does come, to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, if we're trusting in Jesus, what God will see is a perfect life as we are clothed with Christ. It is a stunning swap. No wonder Paul is so excited about Jesus. No wonder he prizes Jesus more than anything else in this life because of what Christ has done for him, what it means to know him. And if we're not a Christian here tonight, this swap Paul talks about could be true for you even tonight. I'd love to speak to you afterwards if if that is you. But for the Philippians, Paul's worry for them is not that they will wake up tomorrow morning and suddenly deny the cross of Christ. His worry is that they'll add to it a Christ plus view of righteousness. Righteousness but imagine you're driving in a car and as you go along the road, you come to a fork in the road. You can go left or you can go right. Two options, only two options. You've got to choose one. The thing about a fork in the road is you can't go both ways at once. Well, you can, but bad things happen, you see. It's one or the other. You have to choose one at the expense of the other. And that is the choice Paul is putting before the Philippians and us. It is either a righteousness based on what we do or it's a righteousness based only on what Christ has done. You see, our righteousness cannot be a team effort where it's 90% Jesus and 10% us. It's all or nothing. Look at verse 8. Paul says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. It is either or. And I think this is why morally impressive people are often the ones who find it hardest to choose the fork labeled trusting in Christ alone. Because they cannot let go of what they think should be to their credit all this good moral behavior. But we only get the righteousness from Christ if we fully let go of any other way. If we've been a Christian a little while, I think it's unlikely that we'll wake up tomorrow morning and suddenly reject Jesus. Suddenly reject his death on the cross in our place. I don't think it'll happen that way. I think the much more likely danger for each one of us is that it'll be Christ plus something else. Christ plus our good Christian behavior. Christ plus anything that we think might impress God. And just um, in the last um, five minutes or so, um, I want us to come back and, and just check the front door of our hearts one more time? Are we trusting in Christ alone for our righteousness? I've got three questions just to to lob out there for us to kind of use as, as diagnostics just to weigh up our hearts. Question one, how do we feel on the bad days? When we've had a good day, we've talked to people about Jesus and we've been kind to our housemates And we've gone to a small group, it's easy to feel just that little bit more secure before God, isn't it? To think He must be more pleased with us. But what about the bad days? When we've fallen for that hidden sin again? When we've been grumpy and irritable again and selfish with our time? Don't we just feel a little bit less secure in our standing before God? If we do feel that way, Is it possible we've begun to think it's Christ plus? The first question, how do we feel about our bad days? Second, how's our joy? There are a number of things that can rob a Christian of joy in this life. And I don't want to be simplistic here. But one of them can be a Christ plus view of salvation. Remember back in verse 1, Paul writes to help them go on rejoicing in the Lord. But if we think that somehow we have to add to what Christ has done in order for God to think well of us, or that somehow our standing for God is in jeopardy if we have a bad day and too many bad days, it does erode our joy in Jesus, doesn't it? But when we do believe that Jesus has done it all, that he has made us completely, eternally perfect in God's eyes, isn't that amazing? How's our joy? Final question, how do we view others? A Christ plus mindset quickly becomes competitive and judgmental. We, we start to rank ourselves compared to other Christians because we have to work out how we're doing. You know, are, are we are we actually doing well enough to earn God's favor? And and how do we know? Well, we we, we compare, we contrast. I wonder if that's why the Philippians were struggling with pride and division. Uh, so often, we can trace these things back to a Christ plus mindset within a church. But. When we remember that our righteousness comes only by faith in Christ, it it levels the playing field. There's no us and them when it comes to our church communities. Only sinners saved by grace. As we finish, Paul is not saying that the Christian life should be full of complacency and coasting far from it. He says in verses 10 and 11 that there's a life to be lived. I wish we had more time to look at these verses. But in verse 10, it's all about knowing more of Jesus. And he explains what that means, knowing more of his resurrection power, Uh, following a life shaped like Jesus, willing to suffer and even die for the sake of others. The word for that kind of life is sanctification. Or verse 11, Paul talks about glorification. Uh, He doesn't know when his moment will come, when he'll be raised to eternal life with Christ. The uncertainty is not what will happen. It's more just he doesn't know how he's gonna get there, whether he'll die in prison or not. not. He's not quite sure about the process. He knows what the ending will be. Resurrection life, glorified We'll think much more about these two things next week. But just see tonight that verses 10 to 11 come after verse 9. The Christian life we have to live of sanctification, of, of glorification, this call to follow Christ, it all flows out of knowing that we are made righteous in Christ. Christ alone brings true righteousness. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And I pray that you would work in us to treasure him more as we remember and see afresh all that he's done for us. Father, give us a fresh confidence that our place amongst your people is secure in him and that our standing before you is secure in him. Help us to stay with him and him alone we pray. Amen.